Well, once again, uh, welcome to Grace. We are just so glad all of you are with us this morning. And I know we say that every Sunday. We usually say that every service. But man, what a, just a blessing to be here with you guys, to be able to worship together, get into God's Word and see what He has for our lives. And so today, I get the privilege of beginning our new series called Restoring Relationships. And we are actually only in this for two weeks. Usually, it is a, we have a series a little bit longer, but we are going through the book of Philemon. And that is a book that, that most of us, if you kind of skim through the New Testament, you could probably miss it. But either way, we are going through Philemon. And, and before we get into it, I don't know about you guys, but for me, one of the things that I have often thought about in my life is, okay, when someone thinks of Michael Miller, what comes to mind? When someone thinks about me, like, what do they think about? Like, what is my reputation? And for a portion of my life, I know, uh, actually, I worked at Cedar Point when I was 15, 16, and 17 for three summers. And when I was there, I didn't have to wonder what people thought about me, okay, because I knew. As I began working there, I was a sweep. And so my entire job description, pick up trash, clean up puke. That was it. And... During my time there, within the first two weeks, I had already been given a nickname. And that was my reputation that I could not shake for three summers. It was Silent Mike. <laughs> that was it. Silent Mike. And so I had no idea that, like, I knew my immediate coworkers, you know, who I worked with every day. I knew they called me that. But I had no idea that that was my reputation and actually carried out beyond those coworkers. I remember meeting people that worked on the complete opposite end of the park. You know, hundreds, if not probably a couple thousand, worked there on a daily basis. I would meet people. This happened two or three times. And I'd say, oh, nice to meet you. Tony, my name is, my name is Mike. Where do you work, Mike? Oh, I'm a sweep in the back of the park. Wait a minute. And they would stop me. Silent Mike? How in the world do you know that? Like, yeah, yeah, I'm Silent Mike, I, I guess. But my reputation, it carried way more than I thought. You know, that guy was probably just impressed that I knew how to talk, you know. Um, but more than I knew, my reputation had an influence, whether, whether that was positive or negative. And in today, as we begin our series, today I want to stress the importance of our reputation. Because Paul, the same person that wrote the book of Romans, we just spent four weeks going through Romans 8, Paul is writing to his friend Philemon. And he is really giving us an example of what it is to have a good reputation. So I would encourage you, if you have your Bibles, or you can grab one in the chair rack in front of you, open up to the book of Philemon. In the New Testament, it is right before Hebrews. And the entire book, all right, we just went through Romans 8. One chapter of Romans was 39 verses. The entire book of Philemon, 25 verses. Now that's my kind of book, right? You can read it in two minutes, easy. But even though it's, it's Paul's shortest writing that we have in Scripture, there is so much truth packed into this tiny letter. And before we get into it, just a little background. We have Paul, again, writing to his friend Philemon. However you want to say his name, you can call him Phil, Philemon, Philemon, Philemon Jan, whatever you want to say, we're talking about the same guy. And Paul, when he's writing, he is in the city of Rome under house arrest. So technically he's imprisoned, but he has a little bit more freedom than normal prisoners. Okay, he's able to talk 
to people who are not in prison. He's able to, you know, freely preach and freely write. And he's taking advantage of that as he's writing his friend Philemon, who lives in the city called Colossae. Colossae is where the Colossian church is held. And actually, we, we know that the Colossian church meets in Philemon's house. He's relatively wealthy, so he's able to have a home large enough to, you know, because they didn't have the luxury of buildings like we do. They met in homes. And the Colossian church met in Philemon's home, which he lived in Colossae. And he was 1,200 miles from Paul. From Rome to Colossae, 1,200 miles. So it's not like a short distance to travel there or even send a letter, but that is what Paul is doing. And Paul isn't just writing to catch up to a pen pal. He's not writing, hey, I haven't heard from you in a while. You know, write back. I miss you. Paul has a specific purpose in this letter. And what he's doing is he is writing him to instruct him on how to restore a relationship. Because as we are going to find out, as great as Philemon is, we see that he is someone with a great reputation. And because of that, he has great impact. But he is presented with a great challenge. Because even he is facing conflict. So, let's get right into it. Verses 1 through 3. Here's what Paul says. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother... To Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So right off the bat, before he even gets into his main, you know, body of his letter and his greeting, we can learn a few things. One is that uh, Timothy, which was kind of Paul's he took him under his wing and he led him to Christ. And Timothy was with him in Rome at this time. And Paul not only addressed this letter to Philemon, but also a few other people. Two of them being Aphia and Archippus, most likely his, his wife and son. But also to the church that met in his house. Paul found it necessary that even though this is a private, personal letter, that he wanted the church to be... Doing two things. One, keeping Philemon accountable, knowing that whatever Paul was going to challenge him with, the church may be able to help him. Hey, you know, keep going. You got to follow through with this. And also, maybe just instruct the church on the same matter. That even though Philemon is the one going through this conflict and him needing to resolve things with somebody else, the church also needed to know this. And so in verse 4, Paul begins to give us a better sense of who Philemon is. And we find out that he is a person with a great reputation. Verses 4 through 5. It says, I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Paul is saying, every time I pray for you, Philemon, the only thing I can do is give thanks. Like, imagine having someone like that in your life. Maybe you do. Every time that Paul thinks of this guy, Philemon, man, I thank God for him. I am so thankful and grateful. Why? We see in verse 5, it is because even though Paul is not with them, he's saying, hey, I know I'm 1,200 miles away from you. But I hear about how you have a consistent faith in Jesus 
and you are loving other people. That's the first thing that he mentions. And when he says that you have a faith and you have love for other people, it's not saying like, yeah, when I knew you a few years ago, you definitely had a faith then, and I'm sure you've kept it up. This is a confident, like a continuous, like Philemon is currently holding on to a faith, and he is abiding in Jesus. So not used to, but he's currently sustaining that faith. And that's why Paul is so encouraged. And that's important because we see that he has a faith. And not only a faith, he doesn't just say, hey, I believe in, in God. I'm a Christian. I know that Jesus died for me. Great. Philemon is acting out his faith. And what we see in Scripture is that faith comes before action. That we understand that, man, this guy's faith is real. And it is real to the point of he is living it out by loving other people. And it's not just like a generic love. I know we say love now and it, it can mean so many different things. But love, when he's saying this, it's not like, oh, I love that song. I love that restaurant. I love the Browns who are going to be the 2020 Super Bowl champions. I don't, you know, it's not that kind of love. This love is referring to something that takes self-sacrifice. This love is something that involves humility, putting others before yourself, seeking their benefit, and putting them, again, before you think of you. His love for Jesus expresses itself by having a concern for people. And so I do want to make clear that it's, it's not, you know, we're not Christians because we love we're not Christians because, man, I've done this, I've done X, Y, Z, I've done so many good things, I've given money, and so I must be on God's good standard. It is completely opposite, as Paul paints this. That because we have this faith in Jesus, because we understand that our life is meant not to be lived for ourselves, but to live for him and give him glory, that because of our faith, that's why we love. As a believer, it should be a natural response, and it's difficult at times, to do that, but it should be a natural response for us to love other people. And our life should be full of proof, full of evidence that we have an active, real faith in our lives. And he goes on to say in verse 6, yeah, I'm, every time I pray for you, I can do nothing but just be thankful. And when I pray, this is what I pray about. Verse 6, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you. What does the word knowledge here mean? Okay, because Paul isn't talking about knowledge in a sense of just being head smart about something. He's not just, not just the knowledge of, yeah, I, I know this fact or I know this information. This knowledge that Paul is referring to is a knowledge like a deep, full understanding of something. It's a knowledge that comes directly from experience, from having, from having a first-hand encounter to that truth. Okay, for example, by show of hands, who has ever broken a bone? Anyone? Okay, there we go. Most of us have broken a bone. The first bone that I ever broke, I was in third grade, and I was in the backyard playing tackle football with my brother. Okay, and so I was in third grade, and he was in seventh grade at the time. And it was getting late. It was probably like 9.30 or so. And again, we were just playing one-on-one -on -one tackle football. 
And when you're playing one-on-one, there's really not too many plays you can run, right? Just hike, run up the middle. But my dad came out, my dad, and he, he had made dinner. He said, hey, it's time for dinner. Let's wash it up. Let's go inside. And we both give the famous phrase, one more play, one more play, and we'll be done. So we run our final play, hike the ball. I run to our end zone, which was just our garden bed, and it was lined with, like, wood around it. My brother tackled me right on my collarbone onto the wood. And from experience, I can tell you that when you break a bone, it hurts, right? It hurts, as do all of you know that have broken a bone before that. Now, how many of you in this room have never broken a bone? Anybody? Wow, okay. More than I thought. Now, you guys have obviously never done anything stupid in your life, which... Hey, good for you. Keep it up. Good for you. Keep that going. But for those of you who have not broken a bone, you don't know through experience, but you do know that when you break something, it causes pain. But for those of us who have broken something, we know from experience that it causes discomfort. It hurts. It's painful. We know through having a firsthand encounter with that truth. Paul is saying the same thing, that he doesn't want Philemon to just know something about God. He wants him to experience it firsthand. He wants Philemon to take this truth of, yeah, I know I should love people, but not just have a head knowledge of it. I know I should love people, and I'm living that out. I'm acting that out in my life. I'm living it out in practice. And Paul is wanting the same thing for us as believers, that he doesn't just want us to grasp a truth from Scripture But he knows that it's much more vital to live that out in our lives. And by doing that, we'll become effective and we will grow in our walk and become more mature in our spiritual life. But we don't do that alone. In the first half of verse 6, he mentions that the fellowship of your faith, the fellowship of your faith, that it would become effective. And so when he's saying fellowship here, he's not just saying, yeah, hang out with other people. Hang out with other believers. That's part of it. But this word fellowship, it means a mutual sharing of all of life. So if you are, if we're talking about the fellowship of your faith, Paul is saying, hey, it's not just about you. Okay, I have my faith. I know that Jesus died for me. And so I don't need to worry about anybody else's growth. I got it on my own. That is not what he's saying. He's saying the fellowship of your faith. That as other believers are around us. They are meant to help us. And so we do not want to miss the importance of being together in church and being together as the church. That it is so crucial that believers should be united, that we should be working together, that we should be helping each other, understanding what we have in common. And I get that's not every single person in this room. Some of us maybe have not taken that step to acknowledge our sin And understanding we can do nothing on our own merit to get to God and reach his standard. That God's standard to get into heaven is perfection. I don't meet it. But Jesus offers us a way to have our sins forgiven when we believe and trust that he died on the cross for our sins. And so we believe in him and we choose to live our lives for him. When we make that decision... You and every other believer in this room, in this world, you have something in common. That is your faith in Jesus Christ. 
And again, I get that's not all of us in this room. But if you are sitting here today, this morning, going, yeah, I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity. I don't know what, it's, you know what it means to have a relationship with God. If that's you, we want to help you. We want to answer any questions that you have. We want to help you make that decision. And so after the service, you can go back to room one. Uh, the door is actually open back there. And, and me and the other pastors will be there. Again, we want to help any way you can. But for those of us who are believers, who have made that decision, we have something in common that is our faith in Jesus. And because of that, we should be doing life together. That's why it's so important, and we're so glad you guys are here with us this morning. Again, we are, you know, we're thankful you're here, and we know some people are watching online here as well. And again, we're thankful for that, but we believe that it is more beneficial, not only for you, but for every other person around you to be here, to be in the building, to where we can all come together Sunday morning and even Wednesday nights to learn together, to grow, to be challenged, to worship, and to see what God has for us. And that's why also when we're talking about the fellowship of your faith, that we believe if you call Grace your church home, that you should be plugged in, that you should be serving that you should be finding a way to use your gifts, to use your ability, whatever God has given you, to help not only our church grow, but help pour into other people and show them, man, this is what it's like to live and honor God with it. And so if you're looking for places to serve, we got them. <laughs> we have plenty of opportunities. You, we can go to Grace Kids where the, the mainly the elementary and, and kindergarten, pre-K, and even younger, where maybe you are able to be useful in that. And you can use your own faith to help us with, with them. Or even Fuse, whether it's middle school, high school, helping me and Pastor Luke, and even Pastor AJ as he's going to Tiffin and starting Fuse. You know, we need people to not just volunteer and, and, and do crowd control, but we want leaders in our student center that are showing students what it's like to treasure Christ more than anything else. And so we want to give you opportunities to do that. And that's why it's so important to serve here. Paul is saying, I want you to experience everything that God is offering you. And that is done by doing a life of ministry together. So we know that Philemon, he has a great reputation. But what we also find out is because of his great reputation, he has a great impact. Verse 7, here's what it says. Paul is saying, I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Paul is saying, man, because I've heard from you, or because I've heard about you, and I've seen your reputation, I've seen the impact that you've had, like I'm encouraged because of you and because of what you're doing and what I hear you are continuously doing. We see the impact of Philemon's character because around him other Christians are suffering, other Christians are hurting, and other Christians are tired. They are just spiritually exhausted. But Philemon, he is someone that no matter who he's around, he is able to refresh them. And we know kind of what this word refresh means, right? Or the, the last week or two weeks, it feels like it's been 90 degrees every single minute, you know, around the clock. 
you know, like in the middle of summer, being refreshed. Imagine just being outside all day in the hot sun, but then going and jumping in a pool. Like that kind of being refreshed. It means to take ease or to give rest. Just being able to find refreshment from your circumstances, whatever it is. Philemon is that type of person that whenever he walks in a room, maybe it's because he's so joyful that no matter what his circumstances are, he is able to have joy based on his standing with God. Maybe it's because he's just so encouraging that he uses his words not to tear people down, not to talk and gossip behind their back, but to build them up and to encourage them. Maybe it's because we see that he cared for people and he definitely prayed with people, prayed for people, and we just see that he has a legitimate concern for them. And because of that, we know that he was able to just refresh people spiritually, to lift them up and encourage them no matter what they were going through. And believers were encouraged to progress in their faith when they saw Philemon persevere in his, all because of his example. And again, Paul is, is hearing about his influence of other believers 1,200 miles away. Paul's not next door. He is on a different continent, and he is hearing about one man, Philemon, of how he is committed to Jesus, and he is encouraging other believers. You want to talk about impact? That's it right there. Paul has really nothing negative to say about Philemon. And he's not just giving him empty compliments. He's not just gassing him up to make him feel better about himself. This is genuine praise. And he is grateful for him. Philemon is someone with great reputation. Who because of that reputation he is able to have a great impact. And he's also presented with a great challenge. Verses 8 through 11 say this. Therefore... Though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. Paul briefly gives us the reason of why he's writing this letter. That he has a big ask. He has a big favor challenge that he's throwing towards Philemon. We're introduced to someone new, Onesimus. Onesimus was a former employee of Philemon. He used to work for him at his house. And we know that Onesimus, he actually stole from Philemon and he ran. He fled from Colossae to Rome. And however it happened, maybe he, knew, maybe he knew about Paul beforehand, but Onesimus and Paul, their paths crossed. And by dealing with Paul and, and, and being around him and with him, he became a believer. But what's interesting is that we have this kind of sticky situation with Philemon and, and Onesimus, where Onesimus wronged him. And Paul is going to tell Philemon, hey, here's how you need to handle this situation. Here's what you need to do about it. And what's interesting is that even though Philemon is someone that we know with a great reputation, he is loving those around him, he's doing everything seemingly right, he still is not exempt from, from conflict. 
He still is going through hardships. And Paul is expecting him to handle this well and honoring God. Again, we know Philemon is a solid believer. But he is still going to face conflict as we see with Onesimus. And when he encounters this challenge, we are going to find out, man, is, is Philemon's reputation, is it real? Or is it just going to be proven to be skin deep because everything was going well for him? When he faces conflict, will his character, his reputation be proven to be genuine or not? Again, because in this series, especially next week as we hammer home this point of what Paul's trying to say, Philemon is showing that he has the correct mindset, the correct character to be dealing with relationships and to be dealing on, man, how do I restore it? How do I fix things? Even if I'm not the one who wronged somebody, Philemon has the right character. When people think of him, they think of his faith. They think of his love for people. That's his reputation. And so today, the next few minutes, I just want to remind ourselves and maybe give us a minute to assess our own lives and stress the importance of having a good reputation. So I think in our culture today, you've probably heard it before, most people will say that it's not about what you know, it's about who you know exactly. In our society today, that's, you know, that's generally how things work. You know, it's not necessarily about what you know, it's about who you know. You've got to be developing your contacts and always be, you know, having a kind of a network and be having people, you know, contacts, just never know when you're going to need a favor, right? But I think as we learn what Paul is telling us about Philemon, that it's not about what you know, it's not about who you know, it's about how you're known. And we just see the importance of that taking place. And so here's my question this morning. It's pretty simple. What are you known for? What are you known for? What is your reputation? When people think of you, what comes to mind? That's something we should constantly be asking ourselves. When people think of you, what comes to mind? And you might say, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, hopefully it's good. Don't think it's too bad. Okay, but maybe this will help give us perspective. Let's say I went to certain people in your life, people that you're close to, like your friends and your family members, and I said, hey, what do you think of him? Or what do you think of her? What's their reputation? What are they, what are they known for? And hopefully they would be good things. But what if I went to your coworkers? What if I went to your boss? Or your employees? What if I went to your husband, your wife? What if I went to, maybe some of us in this room, our ex-wives, our ex-husbands, or our ex-girlfriends, our ex-boyfriends, our past relationships, people that we really, you know, may not have handled things perfectly in the past. What if I went to them and said, man, what do you think of this person? What would they say? Maybe some of us, we probably wouldn't have a very glowing reference that people say, oh yeah, they're just angry all the time. They're impatient. Or maybe they're known for, for just complaining that they're able to suck the energy out of a room <laughs> in no time. Or maybe 
we're known for, for gossiping. We're known for talking bad about people behind their back. Maybe that is us. And you're thinking, okay, yeah, maybe because of how I've handled things in the past or I've mistreated people, I do have a bad reputation. What do I do about it? We look at Paul. Paul, who authored this letter, he is someone that I really can't think of anyone in the New Testament that had a worse reputation than him. He is someone that if you were a believer, you didn't want to cross paths with. Because he not only wanted to make fun of you, he not only wanted to belittle you because of your faith, he wanted to make sure that you were punished because you were a Christian. And so again, he was going out of his way to throw people in jail to make sure that they faced a consequence. But when we think of Paul now, that's not his reputation. Since becoming a believer, since coming to Christ, Paul was able to change his reputation, not overnight, it took time, but he was able to change his reputation from being this awful person against Jesus to now being known after years and years of faithfulness as being someone that is willing to suffer for his sake, that is willing to no matter where, no matter what circumstances, he is able to proclaim the good news anywhere. And again, we see how important his reputation is, that even as Paul became a believer early on, there were people in the church that were like, no, we can't, we can't let that guy in. Like he was treating us awful. He was throwing us in prison. He was, he was against Jesus completely. But because he was faithful, because he was obedient to Christ, he changed his reputation. But you know what I think? I, I think most of us in this room probably land in a different place. I think if we had to gauge ourselves, we would say, I have a pretty good reputation. Most people would probably think highly of me. You know, I, I, I haven't treated many people too awful or, you know, my reputation is, is decent. And most of us, if we ask people in our life, man, what do you, what do you think of me or what do you think of this person? They would say, you know, they're... They're nice, they're a good person, they've got a good sense of humor, maybe they're funny, or they're a hard worker. If someone said those things about me, okay, those are good things, right? None of them are bad. But if that is how we're known, if that is our reputation, are we satisfied with that? Is that what we want to be known for? Bible's telling us that we should not settle for that, that we should be looking and we should be striving to be known for something much greater than that. Instead of being known as just a good person or being nice, that we are able to be someone who is joyful, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what is thrown our way, because of our position with God, kind of like what Pastor Forrest talked about last week, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, because that is true and we are secure, we are joyful. Or maybe instead of being known as just someone who's funny or someone who is, um, you know, got a good sense of humor, we're able to be known as someone who is encouraging and who loves other people. That we're going out of our way to show them that we care about them. And maybe instead of being known as a hard worker, someone that loves their job, or, you know, is just willing to do whatever it takes, maybe we're known for being someone that is dedicated to the cause of Jesus, knowing that it is not about me, it is about giving glory to God. 
and everything that we are to be known for, that we're striving to be known for, it should reflect our faith in Jesus. And that's what I want us walking home with, going home with today, that your reputation should reflect your faith in Jesus. Philemon, as we learned from Paul, he is someone who has a genuine faith in Jesus. And it overflows into every aspect of his life and every aspect of his relationships. He is a blessing to everyone around him. Can we say the same thing about ourselves? Can we say the same thing about us? Because he gives us a great example of how others should see us. We should strive for that. Not just being known for good things, but being known for our faith. Being known as people who, who, who hold Jesus more important in our lives than anything else. That's what we should be known for. And our reputation is so important. We see the impact that, that we're able to have from it. Philemon impacted others, and even Paul, who was a thousand miles away from him. Our reputation is so important, we get to represent Jesus. What an opportunity that is. To show others that he is able to do a miracle, that Jesus is able to save a messed up sinner like me. That we're able to showcase his work in our lives. And when our reputation reflects our faith, we are able to impact those around us. And so I ask again, what are you known for? We need to be looking for ways to constantly be showcasing our faith and making it obvious and giving evidence to people that we are putting our faith in Jesus, which is greater than anything else this world has to offer. Let's stand this morning as we wrap up and, and pray to end our service. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for allowing us to, to be here today, for allowing us to, to just be together to fellowship, to, to learn, to sing, to praise you, and to get into your word. And God, we just see a great example of how others should see us. We see a great example in Philemon of just, man, this is what we should be known for. Not ourselves, not making a name for, for me, but God, it is all about you. And that I pray our reputation is reflected by our faith in you. God, I pray that we would be constantly just be looking for ways to showcase our faith to other people. We pray this in your name. Amen.